Hey, Matthew. What's up, John? You know Harry Carey? Did you ever hear him say like, Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Yeah, a bunch of replays. Why, what's up? Because that's how I felt last night when the Suns win. I was running around my room, Suns win! (laughs) Suns win! I mean, that was such an amazing game. Such a thrilling way for the Suns to come back and beat the Dallas Mavericks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what I was doing. I was running around like an idiot in my room yelling like yeah yeah a lot of emotions right like up and down just standing up most of the game most of the game i was standing up and i was grabbing my thing because that's what deandre ayton was doing the whole time was grabbing his crotch (laughs) i don't know what it was but but that man was having himself i think i just want to say that was the best game of his career i don't care who agrees with it but we'll get into that later oh yeah i can't wait to discuss deandre ayton's stat line in the game against the mavs uh, but welcome, Suns Jamsters, to the Suns Jam Session podcast. We're super excited that basketball's going on. There's thrilling games occurring once again. Uh, heart rate factor is going at 100 miles an hour. Uh, so thank you ever so much for joining us for this podcast. Remember, you can always follow the show at Suns Jam on both Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this on the Bright Side of the Sun podcast network. You can follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. You can follow Matthew on Twitter at Matthew Lissy. And I hope you enjoy the content that we're going to be throwing down for you today. We're going to do a Mavs review and a Clippers preview. So we're going to discuss the game that happened last night. We're recording this midday on Monday. We're going to talk about last night's game and then get ready for the battle that we have with the Clippers tomorrow afternoon. And we're actually going to be joined by the editor-in-chief from Clips Nation, uh, which is the Clippers SB site, and that's Sabrina Merchant. She's going to join us and talk about Clippers, and we're uh, super honored that she took the time to converse with us about a team that's frankly a lot better than the Suns and a lot better than you know, the majority of the teams in the NBA. They're one of the top three teams. So it's very interesting hearing the perspective of, a, of a, somebody who covers that team and how much confidence she has in her team as deservedly so. So I'm super excited for this one, man. This is a, a great podcast. So again, thank you for joining us. Matthew, you got anything to say to these people before I crack open a nice afternoon beer? Let's get it started, dude. Let's right, just let, get it let's started. Let's get it started. So let me crack open this Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Let's drop the beat. Let's talk Suns Mavs and Suns Clips. So the Phoenix Suns beat the Dallas Mavericks in the Orlando bubble 117 to 115 in dramatic fashion, moving their record to 28 and 39 on the season and putting them four games out of the eighth seed in the Western Conference. My first question to you, Matthew, did the Suns win this game or did the Mavericks lose this game? I don't know. The Mavericks did help the Suns out a lot and the Mavericks got their way a lot in this game too by the refs. Mm-hmm. So between the two, I think it was right dead even. I think both teams got what they wanted in this game. I know the Mavericks didn't get the win. They don't really need the win. Maybe if they want to avoid the Clippers, they do. But, I mean, they, they fought harder than they did, I feel like, in the previous games the Mavericks did. But they have an issue going into late-game situations, the Mavericks do. And I think that you can see that they can struggle. And that can be, like, kind of their tagline going into the playoffs this year is, can they finish in pressured situations? The Suns showed they could this game. And I think they earned that win very much so. What do you think? Yeah, I got to agree with you on the latter part there. I think the Suns won this one. 
I mean, you could look at some of the statistics and say the Mavs lost this. You look at their shooting, which was abysmal from the three-point line in the second half. I think it ended up being like one for 16 or one for 17. And you go, okay, well, they hit one of those shots, and it's a completely different game. So I, I can see that point of view. And what I found interesting was the Mavericks are kind of like a glorified Suns team because that's typically an issue that we have is we're good, we will play you hard, but we can't execute in the clutch time periods. I actually looked it up and our offensive rating as a team is about 108, which is good for 16th. So we're very average when it comes to clutch time situations. But I feel like the issue that the Mavericks have versus what the the Suns have this season is the Mavericks typically have the lead and they can't hold it. Whereas the Suns typically are just within striking distance Mm -hmm. and can't get over the hump to take the lead at the end of games. So I think that the Suns definitely based on their performance, based on the grittiness and resiliency of this team, and quite frankly, based on karma, came back and earned this win. They won this game instead (laughs) of the Mavericks losing. I got to talk, I got to talk about the refs, man. I mean, what was your, I I hate, I hate going down like that kind of, that avenue of the refs, the refs, the refs, but it's just like, Mm -hmm. it's tough, man. I really felt like this was called one-sided. Yeah, but also there's an art to drawing the foul. There really is. I love James Harden, love his game, everything he does for the game. Offensively, he's a threat any way you take it. Like, he can get to the hole, get the, get the foul. That's the same way with Luka Doncic. The thing is, though, if these guys are not actually being touched and they're calling the foul, that's the frustrating thing. I understand drawing the foul, but if Bridges is arms up, not even, like, making a uh, – not even skin to skin or jersey to jersey, anything like that. Not even a thread of jersey touching Doncic, mm-hmm. but he still gets the call. Those are the things that are really frustrating, especially when you're talking about our best three, when it's Mikael Bridges, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton getting four fouls so quickly. Uh, Mikael had three, but then got his fourth later on. But you can't do that to the Stars of the Suns. If we want to have a chance to be a team like the Mavericks, we need these players. And the rest need to know that, that you have to let them play. And I know the art of drawing the foul and playing with four or five fouls, like Eddie was talking about. Yeah, yeah. But it shouldn't be that way. It should be, you know what, these guys have two or three fouls going to the fourth. It's been a hard-fought game. Let some of them go. You can't call all of them. You're in the bubble. I know that they're mic'd in crowd noise. But, like, are you, are you not hearing? Like, I mean, apparently the refs are hearing slaps and, you know, you know body on body because they're calling it because – that's got to be why. I don't understand how they were calling as many as they did. You know, if you're in a big arena environment and it looks close, you're like, okay, I'm going to call that. But, like, you can actually hear what's happening on the court right now. And they were calling a lot of fouls that I just felt were really ticky-tacky. You know, Dallas yeah. scored 33 of their 115 points from the line on 37 attempts. That's 28.6% of their total points. The Sun scored 21 of their 117 points from the line on 23 attempts, and that's 17.9% of their total points. So about nine percentage points less. My point, like Dewey Cox, they had to walk hard to get this win. They weren't getting it from the refs. They weren't given the opportunities that the Mavericks did from the line. So they had to be uh, better in other areas of the game in order to do so. And and, and like you said, you have to give the Mavericks, and especially Luka Doncic, who's a second-year player, a lot of credit, man. They're very cerebral. They attacked where the Suns were weak. I talked about it in our Mavericks preview, how one of the things that I was a little bit scared of with uh, the Mavericks is simply their size. And they attacked our interior early and often and got a lot of guys in foul trouble in an effort to try to go out and win that game. And unfortunately, 
for the Mavericks, it just didn't work out, you know? Fortunately for the Suns, our guard play in the third quarter came out and trumped their ability to go inside. And, and it was, all, it, you know, I think, uh, I think somebody said it during the game. They're like, they don't know, the Mavericks don't know who to guard now. I mean, because, you know, they, yeah, there was yeah. no Mikel, there's no Booker, there's no Aiton. They're like, um, how, how do we play defense against these guys? So they got what they wanted. They put our guys in foul trouble. But then from there, they didn't know how the Suns were going to attack them. And they kind of fell into their old adage of being, hey, we're a three-point shooting team. And they started taking a bunch of threes and stopped missing them. They stopped attacking the interior, and the Suns came back. No, exactly. And these are the games where the Suns in the past, they would just, you know, forget about it. It's a loss. We're not going to be like, Booker's fouled out. Aiden already has five fouls. So we're going to give up. But that's not what happened. We have players on this team where we have a nine-man rotation, including Oubre, when he's healthy, to where we can get buckets off of people. We can have the defensive intensity that – we've always needed in the end and we get the wide open looks and they were draining the threes, which we needed. And Carter was a big, um, Carter was huge. Carter was just a guy that would come in. He would play defense on Dodge help out in that way. And also too, just drain a couple of big threes. And Cam yep. Johnson was the same exact way. And the most, the, the most obvious thing when I was watching this game was basically Doncic was hiding from Mikhail Bridges. The only way that Doncic can get his points and make anything happen on offense is if he can have a switch on the screen or else if Mikael Bridges was taking his time or if, if he was on the bench getting a break. Because mm-hmm. as soon as Mikael Bridges would like go out, Doncic would come in. So I feel like the Suns have a way of stopping this Mavericks team. It showed. And to go to the end of the game where Doncic had a wide-open layup they kept talking about, it's like yeah. every time Mikael was on Doncic down there, Don, or Mikael Bridges would block it. Like, Doncic could not get it over Mikhail Bridges. That's why he passed it back out. And plus, every team now is going for the win with three. So how is this news? It's like, oh, yeah, the, the Mavericks wanted to get the game over with. They want to get the three. Either they lose or win. It doesn't matter for them. But that's how every game is decided now. If you're down by two, every team goes for the three. So I don't see why that's any different. Yeah, I don't either. I don't think there's any merit to the Sun or the Mavericks don't want to play overtime. That's why they went to the three. No, Mikhail Bridges was right there on Luka Doncic. And Doncic did have a layup, but he had Mikhail in his face. And guess what? Mikhail blocked him like three times in this game. So he definitely forced him into a, let me think about this decision. And he saw Kristaps Porzingis out by three. He's had a decent game out there. Let me dish it to him. He bricks it. So I don't think that there's any merit at all that the Mavericks were just trying to get this thing over with. And they got what they needed from this game. I mean, they're competitors. They want to win those games. You know, to your point, Mikhail Bridges didn't have a great game offensively because he was so in the shorts of Luka Doncic. You know, he ended up only having four points on two and nine shooting. You know, he only had two steals, one assist, one rebound. Okay? But yeah. he had three blocks. And those were very key early when Luka Doncic went out. Almost the first two possessions, he came down and he blocked them. And I, I was really excited. And as a Suns fan, you had to be excited for that. And then you kind of saw, oh, no, this is their game plan. They're, Luka's trying to get to the hole whenever he wants and doing like the James Harden two-step uh, you know, shadow fouls to get to the yeah. line, put our team in, in trouble. And then you talked about, about the middle of the third. You know, that was kind of the key stretch of the game for me was really when about 728 was left in the third. And it's just like you said, like, you know, this is typically where the Suns go, well, this one's a loss. And as a fan, that's what I kind of felt like. Once Booker got his fifth after eight and already he had his fifth and we're less than five minutes into the third quarter, I'm like, this game's over, man. This sucks. This really sucks. And I was actually yeah. writing, writing a recap for the uh, bright side of the sun. And I was just like, man, this is going to be, this is going to suck to write because (laughs) 
I can, I can finish it right now. I mean, we have seven minutes yeah. left in the third quarter and the game's over. So I can start writing this thing as a finish. And then like, I, I looked away from my laptop. I'm like, let me just watch this. And the Suns are down 81 to 70. And then Carter hits a three on a Rubio assist. And then Cam Johnson hits a three on a Carter assist. And then Kaminsky gets a dunk down low on a Rubio assist. And then Rubio gets a layup. And then Porzingis goes one from two from the line. And then Kaminsky gets another layup. And then he's fouled and he makes two of the free throws. And the Suns all of a sudden have the lead 84 to 82. And then you add in a three by campaign and uh, I think it was two threes, two threes by campaign and one by Javon Carter. Yeah. And in the time that Booker goes out of the game at 728 in the third, the Suns end the quarter on a 26 to nine run. And you were just, I mean, your adrenaline starts pumping. You're like, oh my God, the thing that has been typically the, the issue with the Suns, which is three point shooting and bench depth completely turned on its axis. Mm-hmm. I mean, how impressed were you with that run? Oh, I was really impressed. And what started that run for me, I thought it was Aiden. This is why I'm saying this is Aiden's best game. I know his stat line's not there, just like Mikel Bridges. But Mikel Bridges from the eye test, he made a difference. You had to get away from him if you're the Dallas Mavericks to have anything go down. But the thing is with Aiden, he was maybe a little bit immature on his fifth foul. But I like that. I like him before the foul, before that fifth foul. The fourth foul he got was total bullshit. And then he called the rest out on it. And he almost got a T, but I like that. I like the intense Aiton, and from the body language that he had on the court almost the whole game, he looked like he was ready to go. And stuff wasn't falling really for him, but he was making the right plays, making the right passes. He was really intense. I've never seen him that intense in my life, but he, was, he seemed fed up. And I know it was a little bit immature for what he did with his fifth foul, but he's just like, bring it on, Luca. Like, I am sick of this shit. Like, they're going to probably call a foul, but I'm going to let you know you can't get by me. Like, you're, got, you're not going to make me fall like on my – on my ass if for like one move, you know, like what Luca might do to someone else that's a center. Like he, he can hold his own. And for me, I love that. I don't know why. Like I no, was you're, grabbing, you're, I was grabbing right. my crotch and I was just with him and I'll just show <laughs> He kept doing that all game, but like he, he like, it was a different Aiton. And I don't know why that's not really pointed out as much is because I feel like we've always wanted to, where's the intense Aiton? Like, that's it. Maybe some more maturity, which I think Monte can help with that, but that's the Aiton I want to see when it comes down to these games and I know maybe it was Booker that led to the, to the run, but I really think Aiton got that team going from the way he was acting, but maybe it was Booker, but what I saw was Aiton. No, I think you make a fantastic point. And that's why one of the reasons I love doing this podcast with you is because you see the game just a little bit different than I do. And I'm somebody who, I mean, how much did I harp on the last podcast, how I need to see aggressive Aiton. I'm tired of tentative Aiton. I'm tired for him looking to pass the ball in this game. You're absolutely right. He was aggressive and he was looking to, you know, kind of push some guys over because he was pissed off. He was getting treated kind of unfairly by the refs. He was, And, And he, and you're definitely right on that one, his fourth foul, he was chirping at that ref. I mean, that they zoomed in on it and you know the ref was like this close to teeing his ass up and then he came out and yes it was immature and that's why eddie was saying like you know it's an art to learn to play while you're in foul trouble and there is and that's a little sign of immaturity but it's also showing aggressiveness and we need that from deandre ayton and 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 it's even better for both him and devin booker in this game to see that hey the rest of the team can help us in this one we don't necessarily have to carry the load at all times you know devin booker Give him a lot of credit in this game. He yeah. did a f- fantastic job. 30 points in 31 minutes, 10 for two, uh, 20 from the field, one for four from downtown and nine from 10 from uh, the line with four assists. I mean, he was not in there very often. He was in there sporadically and he still pulled off 30. And it's, it's something that 
I don't know if you saw, but the second time he got called for that lane violation, Booker always does that. He drifts from the three-point line in. Yeah, he does. And, and it's never benefited it. I've never seen him actually like, get in there and get a rebound. <laughs> but like, he just does it. And the second time they called it, it was the same thing. Like He was kind of pissed off. And I think that was with uh, about eight minutes left in the second quarter. And he scored the majority of his points. I think he scored 12 points in the last seven minutes of that quarter. Yeah. because he was pissed off. He went down the next play, just drew a foul instantly, was chirping at the ref a little bit, and then just used that aggression to channel a good offensive game. And that's the next thing for Aiton is he's going to really learn how to channel his aggressiveness into you know, taking it out on the rim versus taking it out on other players and, and the version of fouls. Yeah, and it's great surroundings for him to do that too with uh, Monte Williams and James Jones. If this was like the other front office and you have Kokoshkov or any other coach – trying to hold Aiden like accountable for stuff. It's not going to happen. I think this is the best situation for him. And I know every, every player has their immaturity. They have to grow up. Everyone does in life, but what better way to do it with the Suns, with Monte, with Devin Booker, the young team, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Ricky Rubio. It's just, it didn't frighten me that I saw some immaturity on the court. It just made me excited because of that energy he gave us. It was, that was the best part of the game for me. So speaking of young players, what are your thoughts on Cam Johnson in this in this game, man? Oh man, you should have heard. Uh, Almina Hassan was on the radio this morning, Arizona radio, uh, with Dick and Wolf. What's what's their names? <laughs> Dick and Wolf. D Doug, Doug and Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> yeah, Dick and Wolf. Yeah, and Dick but, and Wolf. Between, between Aiden's crotch and Dick and Wolf. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no. Um. Amin was talking about him putting a mic on his uh, all-rookie team, and he was so close to doing it, but he didn't. And then he watched these two games with Cam Johnson. He's like, oh, I should have done it. I would have been running around. You know, Everyone would have been praising me for being so smart for choosing him on my all-rookie <laughs> team, but he didn't. But, dude, Cam Johnson, like the best play for him was when he had the ball running down the court. Um, he caught like a, a tough pass. I don't From know who Javon Carter. From. Yeah, and he, like, he handled the ball perfectly, mm -hmm. made the right decision to go up for the layup, like with the, two with two defenders closing exactly on he's like the best wing we have that is great at handling the ball in fast breaks i don't know what it is like he makes the best decisions by far out of all of them and seeing that just made me so impressed with the guy yeah he had a fantastic game his first ever career double double with 19 points and 12 rebounds and here was the one thing that i really enjoyed advanced stats time you look at his offensive rating for this game an offensive rating is, as we all kind of know, it's the an estimate of points produced by a player per 100 possessions. He had an offensive rating of 158. 158. I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's insane. It's ridiculous. That's insane. You know? I mean, he just absolutely was an offensive force to deal with. And that's not like an offensive rating is he played 10 minutes. He played 40 minutes in this game. Mm -hmm. And he just was stroking it from the three-point line, was forcing the issue. I was getting to the free throw line. I mean, everything about Cam Johnson that we – everything we felt about Mikhail Bridges, like through the scrimmage games, has been like magically transferred over to Cam. <laughs> it has, right? It has. I mean, he's, he's had the opportunity to start, and he's, he's taken advantage of it. And it's something that really gets you excited because we talk about it going into next season. Like, hey, if you have Sarge and Cam coming off the bench, like, dude, we could be legit man, we need a power forward, man. We need a power forward. Dude, maybe Cam Johnson's our power forward, man. I mean, he is yeah. like 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, I mean, he could be the power forward of the future, and we don't even realize it. You know, he's, he's got the, the weight to be one. He's got the three-point shot that we need from that power forward position that we've been looking for via, you know, fake trades and fake free agency pickups and drafts, yeah. you know, for the past three months. Cam Johnson might be the answer. Yeah, he definitely has a really high um, basketball IQ already because he's, I mean, he's a little older. He's been playing for longer than most rookies. 
but just his health was always an issue. So the health, I hope it, he can sustain just a long career of staying healthy. Uh, besides that, I mean, he has the right frame, the three-point shooting, like I talked about earlier, the ball handling skills. Everything looks great. And what I loved is how he remained in the starting lineup. Sarge didn't take over because he had such a great game before. Saric went back to his like, you know, 16 and eight, which is great off the bench. Like that is fantastic to have that coming off the exactly. bench. Exactly. So my favorite thing was him staying in the starting lineup when Uber is not there. Like that has to mean, I think he's, he's pretty much got the starting lineup or it's a starting spot. I would say, right. Yeah, I, I would think so yeah. at this point, especially for this little run in the bubble. I think that it's his to lose and it's going to probably take a couple of really bad performances for him to lose. And I hope that yeah. that's how Monty's looking at it because a rookie in his, uh, you know, kind of his demeanor and his opportunity, like this, this is a great chance for him to kind of showcase that and just get those reps in. So don't take mm-hmm. that away from him and don't kill his confidence in this bubble. So did you exactly. see the, the interview with him at the end of the game? Uh, I saw some of it. I don't remember it though. Sorry. My, my, my favorite part is they asked him and I think it was uh, Leander asked him, he's like, Hey, how'd you get the, get the shiner? Oh, yeah. And he's like, I forget what player did. He's like, I happened in one of the scrimmages. The guy elbowed me in the face and the foul was on me. Siakam. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the foul was on me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the Suns, though, right? Yeah, I know, right? But yeah, uh, but I mean, kudos to Cam Johnson. And of course, the fourth quarter happens. The Phoenix Suns somehow, some way, hold on. And I think that's one of those uh, things that we're kind of typically we typically don't do either. We're trying to overcome the hump, or we just can't keep the the competition off. And yeah. after after outscoring Dallas thirty six to nineteen in the third quarter, Dallas outscores the Suns twenty three to twenty one. But again, we hold on. And why is that? It's what we discussed, you know, the, the Mavericks offensive rating is literally the best offensive rating the NBA has ever seen. They're just an efficient team when it comes to that advanced statistic. You can't take too much weight into it, but it just gives you an idea of how efficient they are on offense. And in the fourth quarter, not clutch time or anything, just in the fourth quarter overall, they were a 95.8 offensive rating due to that, due to a couple different factors and the Suns, you know, just kind of getting some big buckets from, Ricky Rubio and Javon Carter, they, they mm-hmm. held them off and they, they got the W. And I got to say, Matthew, I said Suns 124, Mavs 122. I mean, that's, that's two games in a row, man. Where I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty damn close. You know? that is, that's, that's as you know? close as it gets almost. Unless yeah, you're I, you know, I was, right I was on it. two points off again. The fourth quarter, though, it was, uh, it was a little scary because you can, saw, you can see Booker and Aiton kind of going back and forth with the ball. But um, you can see the nervousness and the shot selections from Booker in the end, just kind of like he had some good looks down low and like he bricked it off the bottom of the rim that one time. Yeah. You know, it's stuff he, he doesn't normally do. Yeah, bad. But you could see like he was just like really, he seemed so excited and like just his adrenaline, his adrenaline was probably going crazy because this is like the biggest moment in his career so far. Yeah. So he wanted to look good. And I love this because he gets a build on this, like him and this team, like, but mostly I feel like Booker, he gets a build on this moment where um, the team had to win it and they had to win this game to get any and they closer. Won, and they won it with him on the bench. And I think that's going to do nothing yeah. but build his confidence in himself. Cause he's like, I can really go out there and know that this team has my back. Yeah. I don't have to carry the weight of the, of the team and the organization. I can play well and still have a not great game and know that my team can back me up. And that's actually going to open him up. I feel a little bit more. So that you think that's better that he was on the bench and just knowing his team can play, or else absolutely. is it better that he finished the game and they won? No, absolutely, because he because he, he's finished games and they've won before. He knows what yeah. that feels like. That's Very true. rarely is he sitting on the bench with a minute something left to go, having to be a cheerleader. But it puts him in a good situation to see that you know what I can trust the teammates around me, and mm-hmm. that's going to make him a better player 
It honestly is. It's going to, yeah, you know, so it, 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 what's, what's going to happen is there's going to be a situation where there's three minutes left in the game. The Suns are down five points and a, Booker might have a three that's contested because he gets contested all the time. And he might, instead of trying to take that contested three, dish it to a member of his team. You know why? Because he has confidence in that teammate now. He knows he's like, you know what? This might be the best play. I don't need to go into Booker ball, which yeah, is exactly. under, three, under three minutes, Booker shoots everything. Like that's a thing of the past now. Yeah, dude, and it's well-deserved by him, too, just from working on his playmaking. So now he can make the right pass to the wide-open guy, and he can yeah. trust him. So. so did you see the ESPN highlights at the end of this game? No, this game? I keep hearing about it. They had no highlights of the Suns. Yeah, right? it was six Mavs plays. Luka drops 40, Suns win. Does, like, does that piss you off at all? No, it doesn't. I, I love it because being a Yankees and, and Cowboys fans, everything, fan, everything is always put out there, no matter what the Cowboys do or the Yankees. I like the Suns going under under the radar. I do like it, but what kind of pisses me off is like you have these NBA experts and insiders that like never see the teams coming that they should. Like the young, talented team is like, oh, the Suns won. Well, I'm not surprised. Like they have the talent. They're all healthy besides Ubre. They're all back at it. Like you should have seen them when they were healthy. Like they should point that shit out and saying this isn't a surprise that we beat the Mavericks. It's like it's like if you would have told me five years from now that the Suns were in the playoffs, you know what I mean? Being down like six games or something like that, that would have been crazy. Like, I hate that. It's just like, you should expect these things from young teams that are growing in the league like the Suns. So it shouldn't be surprising and they should get more acknowledgement for that. And they don't, it's, it blows my mind. No, I, I'm with you 110%. You know, first on the ESPN thing, like I don't take it as a plight because it's like, you know what? Yeah, let's stay under everybody's radar. I don't like being on the radar. You know, let's yeah. like, we'll come out and we'll play the Clippers. And even if we play them well, all of a sudden we might turn a couple heads. You know, obviously you want that respect and you want that attention. I think, it's, you know, you look at the society we live in and everything's about getting likes and, you know, sharing this and, hey, look at us, look at us. And as, as Suns fans, we haven't had that in so long, especially in the social media era. So anytime there's an opportunity for us to get like a like from a, a national uh, outlet of course we want that but i'm also okay with not getting them right now because i think Me that too. if the if the team continues to turn heads they're, they're gonna do it whether these guys like it or not i don't want the team these guys to feel like they have to do it because they beat them i feel like they, they i want them to want to do it and i know that's a weird yeah. psychological analysis of espn showing six mavs plays and not giving the suns any cred but that's how i kind of feel about it you know it's like listen i don't need your likes man i just need your respect and you know what when the when they start to respect the suns then we'll start to get the likes. So, I mean, that's where I'm kind of, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, no, I'm, I'm right with you, man. And it's further away from the Rachel Nichols interviews that I don't want to yeah. see the one-on-ones. <laughs> so Bucker, uh, <laughs> nice to see you. Yeah. I would have never guessed you were here like two years ago. Oh yeah. Just the oh, basic questions, the, the basic, Sorry. easy questions. Well, here, here's a, a basic, easy question. Who was your player of the game? Player of the game was DeAndre Aiden for me. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I, it's the weirdest thing. And I know his styling doesn't look good, but we needed to see this from DeAndre Aiden. And it made like me it. really pumped up. It made me the most excited. I know Cam Johnson's probably a uh, player of the game, but DeAndre Aiden to me uh, solely is my player of the game. Well, I want to give it to Cam, and I respect you for giving it to I know DA. Give it to. Who am I going to give it to? Papa Ricky. Papa Ricky, bro. Papa Ricky in my yeah. eyes. Because, again, as he goes, the Suns go. He was 7 for 17, yep. including uh, 2 for 3 from deep for 20 points, 9 boards, and, si- and 7 assists in 32 <laughs> minutes. Led Crazy. the team with a plus-minus of plus 12. And we talk about that run that happened in the third quarter. Well, that lineup was Ricky Rubio, um, Javon Carter, 
Cameron Johnson, Frank Kaminsky, and I don't know if Cam Payne was in at that point. I think I it was Payne, though. I think it was. And I th- it was a really, really small ball lineup. I mean, it was kind of almost depressing how small ball Sarge. it was. Yeah, it yeah. might have been Sarge, too. But yeah. I know Cam Payne came in eventually. But Ricky got that offense going. He's the one who came yeah. out and hit Carter for that, that uh, three ball. He forced the issue, got a couple free throws. He got a layup. He got Kaminsky in the right position, which is a really, really hard to do. And again, Ricky is just one of those people who just doesn't get enough pub for how important he is for this team. Because if Booker and Aiden both go out with five fouls and we don't have Ricky Rubio on this team, that we fold like a chair right there. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind that we do because we don't have the leadership on the court and just that kind of nice, easy, calm presence. There was actually one part of the game where uh, somebody, there was a foul and it involved Ricky Rubio. And one of the guys was kind of fired up. And then like Ricky Rubio, you could see him kind of go over and talk to him a little bit. And the guy just kind of, kind of calmed down because Ricky's like, hey man, this is what really happened, man. And like yeah. the guy responded yeah. once and the opposition did. I mean, he just has that calm demeanor. And because of his performance, I really feel that it kept the Suns steady enough to not only overtake a 15 point deficit, but ultimately win the game. You know, yeah. I think the only thing that is interesting is the fact that he only played 32 minutes. I mean, Devin Booker was in foul trouble the whole game and he played 31. And I think that's just because Ricky's still got to get his legs under him. I think Monty's kind of trying to play him in limited minutes mm-hmm. and uh, giving him an opportunity to build up his strength. Seeing as he's just a little older now. You yeah, know? he is. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about the talk he had. With, I think it was Finney Smith. Yes, where yes. It was basically almost like right after the DeAndre Hayden fight with him or uh-huh. whatever that was. Yeah, but whatever he got that a technical, was. Which makes no sense how DeAndre got a technical. I know, he just turned around. and looked at the guys like, you, you're the guy who did it? They're like, technical. Yeah. They must not like DeAndre. He must, have, he must have said some bad shit to him or something. He must have really railed that guy verbally I, after that fourth foul. But like, He should, I mean, though. I, I don't blame him. And I sometimes protect the refs. But in that situation, that game, everyone knows the Suns got hosed, but still won. I know. that. Well, that's the impressive part. And again, you know, I'll end where I let off a little bit. Like, I hate blaming refs in any sport. Because I hate, you know, you'll sit there and you'll talk to somebody. Oh, the refs won the game for uh, yeah. for you. You know, it's like, listen, if you're a really good team, you're better than the refs. And you, there's going to be situations where you're put in shitty situations. And you have to overcome not only the opposition, but but the refs. So I hate blaming the refs. But I hate also games where it's like, it's so clearly one-sided. And they're in a bubble where you should be able to hear every foul. And I doubt they were hearing anything on those Luka Doncic other than him maybe like groaning as he went by in slow motion. I just... It's really frustrating to see that occur, but it's really exhilarating to know that we can come out the other side of that with a win. Definitely, dude. And, and go ahead. I was just going to say, Monty even said at the end of the game, it was never, yeah. it was never a quit attitude, and I was just proud of them. I just, I was just wanting them to experience something like that together, so we can grow as a team. I'm thankful we got the win against a really good team. Yeah, and that's why they're in the bubble. I mean, it helps the NBA as a whole, too. If you have the Suns with the star talent they have, and they can gain any kind of momentum in the West, at least, you know, something little for next year, exactly. that's good for everybody. Why not throw them in the bubble? Like, so many people give them so much crap for being in the bubble, and I just never understood it. Yeah, let them grow. Let them have an exactly. opportunity to try to grow. Can we talk about the real issue here, though, Matthew? Yeah, what is it? Did the Suns only pack orange jerseys? Oh, you know, I think it's because they won the first game with it. So it, it okay. has to do with that, right? Okay, I'll allow it. I, don't I think know. they I mean, did that. They used to do that with like the black jerseys, the PHX ones. Yeah. When they would win one game and then lose the next three. They would win, <laughs> they would win <laughs> whichever jersey they had to win the one game, they wore it the next game. So. Well, I know we saw in the scrimmages them wear their whites and their away purples, but I, was, yeah. I just found it interesting. Like, ah, we're just rocking the orange two in a row. But if it's, uh-huh. you know, if it's lucky... I'm okay with it. Me too. So one thing I wanted to talk about before we get to the little Clippers preview is, did you see Jonathan Isaac? 
Yeah, what a bummer. What it is up sucks, with the ACL man. thing? Well, so he had a hyperextended knee in January against Washington. He was actually expected to miss the rest of the season. And then he came out in the third game of the scrimmage, only played like four minutes, but they, you know, they're rehabbing him, giving him an opportunity to come back. And then he blows out his left ACL yesterday. It's so sad to see. It is. Man. And, and, you know, Orlando was up 114 to 86 on the Kings in the fourth when it happened. And I guess the reason I bring it up is, you know, one, condolences to Jonathan Isaac because he's somebody I know both of us are really a big fan yeah, of. absolutely. Uh, but do you fear the same for Ubre? Oh, yeah. You know, so, like, seeing that, I feel like maybe Ubre is like, oh, man, like, you know, that could be the outcome. Something like that might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I do kind of fear that. Um, I fear that with any player we have, but especially with a guy coming off a knee issue. So, it would be safe to say just for um, Ubre to sit this one out. Um, but do you think that he's thinking that, though? I think that a lot is going on in Kelly Oubre's mind because he said physically he's good to go, but mentally he's not there yet. And that's very, very telling, you know, he is in a bubble right now. He's playing a lot of Pokemon. He's in, he's in a completely controlled and nurturing environment for basketball. And he can't mentally get himself up to the level that he needs to play. And I feel that that has to do with the knee. There's not confidence in that knee yet. And we know that's very dangerous for that to occur because if there's no confidence in that knee, he starts to rely on other, you know, his other knee, his hip and other things start to go as you're overcompensating for one thing. And I think that now that Jonathan Isaac unfortunately blew his, his ACL out, it's probably going to put even more doubt in Ubre's mind. And I think, yeah. that, I think the chances of us seeing Ubre in this run for the Suns is probably like 5% now. I think so too. No, you're you're absolutely right, and I don't blame him. I mean, it's not like we're going to be mad at him either way. Uh, mentally being prepared too, because Ube is one of those guys that will go out and play and not give a crap about what he does. You know what I mean? He's all over the place, and he's not really any like he doesn't double think about anything, or he doesn't like second guess himself. Better to say that way, uh, he doesn't second guess himself. No, he's uh, all a whole out, lot. man. So he's all out. So if he has that mental block, it'd be better for him not to play until maybe next season. Agreed. Agreed. Now, before one last thing, I, man, maybe we'll yes, save sir. maybe we'll save this for the next podcast. Is the fact that TJ Warren scored fifty three points, and then oh, yeah. the game just ended. They were playing the Wizards today, and he mm-hmm. finished with thirty four points. Uh, I'd like to talk about that, but you know what? Our next podcast is going to be the Clippers review and the Pacers preview, and I feel like okay. that's a good time to talk TJ. You think? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, because everybody's talking about it at nauseum. Cash considerations went over over tonight again. You know, it's like <laughs> we'll we'll delve into that, but I I don't think now's the time. I think it's now time to talk about the Clippers preview. So it's time to officially bring on officially officially bring on the Clip Show. The Suns are going to play the Clippers tomorrow, which is Tuesday at one p.m. And this is going to be the NBA TV game. This is the only game that the Suns get actually on NBA TV and are not only carried by local affiliates. And they're one and two against the Clippers this year. They won 130 to 122 on October 26th at home. They lost 120 to 99. Nice little ass kick in there on December 17th in LA. And then they played them on February 26th at home, losing 102 to 92 that's kind of the history of the season. We know that the history of the season versus what's going on in the bubble is kind of a moot point. And we know that the, they will be without Montrez Harrell. And I believe that Lou Williams is back for this game, right? Not that I heard of, I haven't heard anything, so I'm not too positive. Well, I know that he had like the 10 day quarantine. Yeah. And I think that it's actually, 
up today. I think that's what I heard. So we'll see. I'm not 100% if he's actually going to be playing against the Suns. Obviously, if he does, that's going to be detrimental to the Suns because he's such a fantastic player coming off the bench. Uh, between him and Montrose Harrell, actually, they're both averaging 18 points a game coming off the bench for the Clippers, which is the highest combined total between two players coming off the bench in NBA history. So that's what the, the Clippers will be missing if he doesn't play. But unless he goes and gets some wings tonight, you know, just to celebrate the fact that he's <laughs> that he can play, uh, we're probably uh, going to see him tomorrow. So the Clippers lost to the Lakers on opening night, 103 to 101, and then they destroyed the Pelicans, 126 to 103. What are your expectations in this game? So my expectations really are just up to the Clippers. If they want to actually come in and take care of business, they will. If not, then if it's a laid back game where I think they're pretty much going to hold the, the second seed down. I mean, I don't think it really matters for them. They're kind of like the Spurs where it's just like, you know, second seed, third seed, the old Spurs, not this year's Spurs to where it doesn't matter to them as much. So, I mean, if they come out and, like, if they have Harold back or Lou Williams is playing, maybe they just want to get them in the game and feel things out and a win or loss doesn't matter to them. That's what I expect to happen if those guys come back. But if not, then you're looking at the Clippers that want to just kind of take care of business early. That's going to suck for the Suns because they can wipe you out quickly, and if they care, then they will. But if they don't care as much, the Suns have a chance. Yeah, I I think it's very well put. You know, this is kind of in the – the realm of the Clippers and what effort they want to provide. Now, exactly. granted, the, their last game, the blowout against the Pelicans, happened on Saturday. So they have an extra, actually an extra day's rest in between games. Instead of playing every other day, this is one where they have yeah. kind of like you know three days off essentially in between games. So they might want to come out and really test themselves initially just to you know get work on that, that, uh, that leg strength, work on that stamina and the Suns mm-hmm. might be, you know, the doormat that they're going to be walking all over in this game. It's, it's a game that obviously poses a lot of defensive mismatches that favor the Clippers. I mean, you have Kawhi Leonard, you have Paul George, you have Patrick Beverly, uh, you've got Zubak who gives Deandre Ayton a little bit of fits. I feel, you know, just those really big centers who are bulky. It's like Boban. The Mavericks only played Boban for like four minutes. And he played a really good four minutes. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm surprised they actually did go to him a little bit uh, longer. And then they got, obviously, Marcus Morris as playing the four. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an interesting lineup that they throw out there. And when they have that depth behind it, when you have the Heralds and the Lou Williams of the world, it really becomes hard. Uh, they've added Joe Kim Noah. So, I mean, it, it's a lineup that definitely poses a lot of problems in a lot of areas. Oh, yeah, definitely. They're the most complete team. That's why you picked them to win the championship, and I totally understand that. Uh, In the NBA, they're the most well-put-together team, I think. So what matchup are you keyed in on for this game? So it's Mikael Bridges versus whoever. So if Mikael's going against uh, Leonardo or Leo or Gio, one of the two. Leo and Gio, (laughs) I like it. If they go against one of those two, um, or if he does, that's what I'm looking for. I really think that he can make a difference, just like Luka Doncic. He really put a staple down on him. But also, I think that if he's one-on-one with Kawhi, we'll see how far it goes until um, he gets into foul trouble. Um, yeah. Mikel Bridges. So I want, I'm looking out for the foul troubles, of course, after the last game versus the Mavericks. So that's what I'm looking for to see if he can defend, which Mikel last game against Dallas, like he held, held his own most of the game, not having any fouls. But this game, I feel like he might get in foul trouble early. So that's what I'm watching. I think I'm going to be watching Patrick Beverly in this one. 
You know, we talk about B-ball index stat of the pod, and for yeah. him, it's, it's rim deterrence. And rim deterrence is defined as how a player's presence on the court impacts opponent's frequency of attacking the rim. So he's a point guard. He plays, uh, he defends a lot of two guards. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he's matched up against Booker or if they're going to have Kawhi Leonard play Booker. But regardless, he's in the 99th percentile and is an A in rim deterrence. So what does that mean? He's, he's hard to drive on. He gets in your way. He's a pest on defense, and he talks a lot of shit. So I'll be interesting to see how Patrick Beverly attacks the Suns defensively and verbally because we've seen Devin Booker. You start to try to talk shit to him, and he, get, he'll, he'll, he answers with his game. You know, if DeAndre Ayton's pissed off like he was in this past game against the Mavs, maybe he'll respond with his game. Or maybe he'll just be like, hey, man, I beat you in NBA 2K, so shut up. But, I mean, (laughs) it's going to be really interesting. But if he is primarily guarding Rubio, that's where I really am concerned because his presence could fluster Rubio. And because if Kawhi's on Booker and you have Patrick Beverly up in the grill of Rubio and Rubio's turning the ball over a little bit, it's like I said, as Rubio goes, the Suns go. And if Patrick Beverly is focused in on flustering Rubio, the Suns are going to have a really rough time. Yeah. Never too high, never too low. That's Rubio. Yes, sir. Perfect. So, so what's, uh, what's your final prediction for this game? Uh, so I did predict the Suns will win the first three games. Yep. And so far they're 2-0. and And I think the Suns will win. It'll be uh, 111 to 107 Suns. Okay. Okay. We will point out to the Suns Jamsters listeners, as a reminder, I nailed the point spread on the last game. I said the Suns win by two. They won by two. And before that, I said they'd win by, I want to say 14, and they won by 12. Or maybe I said 15. Yeah, Yeah, 15, they won by 12. So when I did my predictions of the Suns going 6-2, and I actually had them losing this game. And I have the Clippers winning 120 to 107. So we both have a 107 in there. But you say that's the Clippers' final score. I say that that's the Suns' final score. Okay. So there you go. I think now it's time to kick it to the interview that we had with Sabrina Merchant. So let's go ahead and do that after this break. All right. We are super excited to welcome to the podcast, Sabrina Merchant, who is actually the editor in chief over at Clips Nation. Sabrina, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? Uh, we'd, be, we'd, be, we'd, we'd be a lot better if we were the number two seed. But we're super excited that you're joining the Suns Jam Session podcast. Uh, we obviously have a game that's upcoming on Tuesday, August 4th at 1 o'clock against the Clippers. So we just wanted to kind of get a perspective of a Clippers fan on your team, our team, the, N- the NBA, the bubble, everything that's going on there. So again, thank you ever so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Uh... <laughs> It's, it's got to be weird to be one of these, like, uh, teams fighting for the eighth seed right now because, <laughs> yeah. like, who the hell thought that the Spurs would be in the ninth spot right now? Like, where I know, did that right? Come from? Yeah, that's why I predicted the Suns have a chance to make the playoffs. You never know. You it really never happen. know. Yeah. yeah. And Memphis is so far dropping the ball, so they're, they're – yeah keeping that door open for us now granted we are recording this uh on sunday before the suns play the mavs so by the time we release this uh, everyone will know the result currently we don't so uh fingers crossed that we don't get our teeth kicked in by the mavs uh <laughs> but the, but the first question i have for you sabrina is do clippers fans have a nickname for the dynamic duo that is Kawhi leonard and paul george um not really there's like a, a 213 connection because Kawhi is number two pd's number 13 and 213 is an la area code Okay. okay. So that's okay. a thing. Uh, but I mean, Kawhi sort of has his own like set of nicknames. You know, he's like the fun guy, right? Boardman, yeah. you know, Claw, whatever. The Terminator. Uh, and then PG is just PG. <laughs> PG. So, so I got one for you. This yeah. is what I've been calling them all year. I'm going to try to make this happen with, with the Clippers fans. It's Leo and Geo. 
because it's Leonard and Geo Urge. Oh Leo yeah. and Geo. Yeah, Matthew hates that one. It's no, even I don't worse mind. Than it. I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm trying. You know, so I that's thought, a no go then, right? I, you know, I, I can't say it's going to hold. I hear Leo, and my instant thought is like, oh, that's Diana Taurasi's kid. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That's the way to think of it. How do you think the Clippers uh, fans are? How do you guys view these eight games in the bubble? Gotcha. Like, um, well, I'm sure everyone would have liked to win the game against the Lakers, which was, uh, you know, yeah. just like a not fun way to start the eight games off, but not wholly unexpected considering Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell still out, Patrick Beverly wasn't like, he was kind of on a minutes restriction. I wasn't yeah. actually ever specified, but you know, uh, you don't have three of your theoretical closing five, like things are not going to go the way you think they're going to go. Um, but I mean, I don't think the Clippers particularly care too much about how these eight games are going to go because there's not a whole lot of risk of falling into the four seed. And in terms of like two, three, there's no home court. Uh, I don't think any of the teams really are scary in that part of the bracket in the six, seven. Uh, I know everyone says like, Oh, Dallas, like they're like a sleeping giant, you know, because like, look at their point differential relative to their record. Mm -hmm. Dallas just gets eaten up by the Clippers every time they play. So Mm -hmm. I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, They're like, you put Dorian Finney-Smith on Kawhi Leonard. Like, I don't don't know what you think is going to happen. It's, it's not going to go very well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much just like let's use these eight games to kind of, you know, ramp up nicely to the playoffs, uh, bring back everybody healthy because it's been a really, I mean, obviously Lou Williams is the one that's been in the news the most, but like everybody's sort of been in and out of the bubble for the Clippers, and there's just like a lot of continuity issues right now. So for now, it's just let's get everybody on the same page, let's get the starting lineup some reps, and we're gonna be fine when the first round starts. God, Sabrina, I wish we had that same luxury. <laughs> We're like, I've never done so much scoreboard watching just to kind of see who's falling. You're like, oh, the Pelicans lost today. All right. That's, I mean, this, and you, you guys are just like cruising. Like the Spurs play Memphis. It's like, should I be rooting for San Antonio or Memphis? I don't even know which one. Yeah, makes one. <laughs> well, so seeing as your team is pretty much a shoe in for the number two seed, mm-hmm. who would you rather the Clips play in that first round? The Mavs, the Rockets, or the Thunder? So I think the Rockets are the trickiest matchup because they do have some history of beating Clippers. They've done it twice this year, including one at Staples Center, which was like a really surprising game because the Clippers don't generally blow leads at home. It was very, it's a very weird game to be there. But um, Mm -hmm. I would say OKC is probably the easiest matchup just because their three guard lineup is going to be toast against the Clippers because what are you going to put like Schroeder on Paul George and Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard? Like I I just don't see how that's going to work at all. Mm -hmm. And there's like some fun, you know, little interpersonal dynamics because obviously Chris Paul is like Mr. Clipper and Paul George just came from there and Shea is on the Thunder now, Gal is on the Thunder now. Like there's there's all these like little storylines you could talk yourself into that just will not make any difference because the Clippers are just gonna run all over I didn't even even think about that though no no, you you gotta realize like the the two interviews that we had before this were one with the Wizards SB Nation side and one with the Mavs so like (laughs) we're all like very critical of our teams and just like like oh darn you know and like it's nice to see confidence like yeah i remember you got to realize about 15 years ago when the suns were relevant that's Mm. how we used to feel when we had like the nash and the and marion and stoudemire we were just exuding confidence because we knew that we were legit like the clippers are a legit team (laughs) yeah yeah but we didn't have a champion on our team either Mm, you know yeah like for Um, one thing it just it just helps you just have like a little pep in your step you know yeah oh yeah it must be nice to have. Um, <laughs> besides Kawhi and besides Paul George, one player on the Clippers you think Suns players or Suns fans might not know about going to this about? matchup? Um, yeah. I feel like the Clippers are so very well covered. I know. Is I there know. like one? Is there a G League player or someone? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. 
in, like in that vein, uh, no, I really think the the clipper who doesn't really get enough credit is Zvita Zubac. Um, okay. And Good pick. I I wonder sometimes if like his and Beverly's defensive numbers are a little inflated because their minutes are essentially tied at the hip to Kawhi Leonard, and everybody just looks better when they're playing next to Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. But he's just very quietly been like an excellent defensive center all year. His he's gotten much better at like staying vertical and not fouling. And he had this thing last year where his hit something with his hands and he couldn't quite finish around the basket. And like, that's no longer Mm -hmm. an issue. He's become a really nice pick and roll partner with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, And obviously like if you're playing against the Suns, a a strong defensive five is kind of necessary because Mm -hmm. you're under Aiden. Uh, So I think he's a guy that, you know, outside of the Clippers, you know, fan community, he doesn't get a ton of credit other than like, Oh, the Lakers gave up on Ibiza too much, but he's really good. And I don't think he gets as much love as he should. He hasn't been quite himself yet in the bubble because he uh, tested positive for the coronavirus. He came late. It looks like he's still Mm -hmm. struggling to get his wind back. And that's just much harder, I think, for big guys, especially someone like Zub, who only plays like 18 to 20 minutes a game anyway. But I I love him. He's great. And I think he's kind of surprisingly good for opposing centers to go up against. Well, he's definitely somebody that we're keyed in on going into the matchup on Tuesday because he's going to be the guy who DeAndre Ayton has to try to impose his will upon. And that can sometimes be an issue for DeAndre Ayton is he's not somebody who really imposes his will. He's more of a finesse big until he kind of figures it out in the third quarter. So we'll definitely keep an eye on Zubak. I Really liked when you guys got him from the Lakers. I thought that was kind of a ninja move that you guys pulled off there getting yeah. him. I thought that was very well done. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You got, obviously, Kawhi, and then you got Paul George, and everything's going in your favor. And I guess my question is, how long do you think the Clippers will have Kawhi and Paul George on that team? Because they oh, only okay. size short. I mean, was Kawhi a two, two or three year? So two Kawhi years. is a two yeah. years with a player option for year three, and uh, Paul George's contract lines up at the same time because he signed an extra year back in Oklahoma City. Um, I mean, really the Clippers like have to be happier than anybody that uh, this season continues because otherwise you get one year, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, to yeah. really see what you have with Kawhi and Paul George. Uh, both of them have been so insistent on the fact that like, they're so happy to be playing at home, you know, like Kawhi's from Southern California, Paul George's from Southern California. They, they chose to be here, right? Like Kawhi literally signed as free agent and whatever Paul George did to get here. I don't want to go yeah. into it anymore, <laughs> but uh, my instinct is that they're going to be playing out their primes with the Clippers. So if they, even if they don't win this year, do you think that they're going to continue to kind of try to, Yeah, something would have to go really wrong, like not making the conference finals, mm-hmm. I think for them to have any sort of doubts, okay. but short of that, like, I mean, making the conference finals would be a historical achievement for the Clippers. It has never happened in franchise history. Jeez. So, um, I think if they do that, like that'll be enough of a step because, ownership is so good here. Like there's, they, they love doc. I just don't see what could possibly cause them to want to leave short of like the team just tremendously underachieving. Well, going down memory lane, uh, when (laughs) with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin on the team, uh, you guys had success. You didn't make the conference finals, of course, but, um, who do you think, whose fault was it that the Clippers team fell apart between those two? Do you think between those two? I mean, it's really like Doc Rivers' fault that the team fell apart because mm. he was the general manager and just objectively terrible at it. Um, and you were constantly in these situations where you're relying on Jamal Crawford to play crunch time minutes. And, you know, far be it for me to denigrate Jamal Crawford, scored, what, 50 in his last game in the Suns uniform. Like, I get yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's just so many depth issues on those teams. Like, you know, giving up a first-round pick for Jeff Green and, like, the Lance Stevenson deal. And, mm-hmm. you know, letting go of Joe Ingles so that you could keep 
I think Jared Cunningham, I want to say, but it, it's, it's like a, a lot of moves that just didn't quite pan out. And you could see that they yeah. weren't going to work out from what they happened, like drafting Bryce Johnson. But that's honestly where I lay the blame is I think that the team just wasn't constructed well enough to build, to beat the Warriors or the Rockets or oh, okay. whatever else happened. Uh, Chris and Blake are really good. I mean, Blake got hurt a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris also got hurt a good deal, but uh, I just think they didn't have enough depth to withstand it. Okay. I think so that, I thought it was oh sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say I think that Blake Griffin totally used the Suns a couple years ago when he was talking about yeah. signing with the Suns for a big deal and then he just turned around and signed like a five year deal with you guys. I, but I then really he was he used. was used too. Yeah, then they he was you used know. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Then they yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Clippers yeah. have benefited handsomely from the Chris Paul trade and the Blake Griffin trade. It just the entire team is just constructed from the res- like the halls of those trades. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Something I'm, I'm definitely envious of because when our era was kind of ending, we didn't really utilize. We're we're Phoenix, like you rise from the ashes. We didn't rise from the ashes of the Nash era very uh, you got eloquently. Some good picks in the Nash deal, I think one of them went to what Brandon Knight. I want to say. Uh, mm. No, we got him in a in a trade. Yeah, yeah but through got... through Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we had a, we've got a ton of picks. We just don't know how to pick them. That's our issue. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, See, that was that was yeah. an issue with the Clippers for a while too. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you know we keep we keep firing and missing. Uh, so Sabrina, tell me this: who who are the Suns to you? Like, what do what do you see when you look at the Phoenix Suns? Besides, clearly awesome jerseys. <laughs> I do like about. the jerseys quite a bit. Actually, <laughs> do you really? I just, I just like orange. I think it's a good color. Oh wow! Thank you. Um, and so when they really lean into the orange, I just enjoy watching it. Um, <laughs> even with like you know the airport code thing, you know, just the VHX site. Yes. I don't yeah. fine with it. I like the ADL thing. I, I I'm very lenient <laughs> when it comes to jerseys generally. Like it just has to be really bad for me to not like them. They have to be like gray, you know, or Oh yes, gray with sleeves. Horrible. Yeah. Oh my god. Choice. <laughs> the worst thing Choice. the San Antonio Spurs ever did to the NBA was convince the league that like gray was an acceptable jersey color. Yeah. It's not. Uh, it's really not. It's miserable. Brooklyn yeah. can kind of pull it off. I kinda of like their look with their court and stuff. Yeah. But San Antonio, it's just bad. Yeah. They've never had a good looking jersey that's gray. Um, it's just really bad but yeah the phoenix suns um let's see they played the clippers in the playoffs back in 2006 mm-hmm. tim thomas Still sore spot for clippers fans i think tim thomas was more of a factor in the lakers series um oh yeah that's right it was clippers roger bell who hit the big three against you yeah, yeah. um but yeah uh i like Devin booker a lot uh he's the kind of guy who theoretically gives the clippers troubles they're not great with like um big scoring point guards which i know Devin booker's not a point guard but he has the ball in his hand so often that it kind of functions the same way. Like Donovan Mitchell always gives the Clippers just a terrible time. <laughs> so he's kind of in that mold. Um, it's funny, actually. Uh, we were talking about Zubach earlier. I, I remember last year when uh, the Suns came to play in LA the first time and Aiden went up against Boban and just had no idea. Oh, yeah. He was just completely owned <laughs> by Boban. Just, like, looked at him and was like, I, I don't understand like how I'm supposed to like, process any of this. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I like a lot of what Phoenix has going on. Um, I, I didn't care for the Cam Johnson pick, but I mean – Oh, okay. Yeah, you're not the only one. Yeah. I mean, right, right now we like it a lot looking back at it, but at first it's like you had to Google Cam Johnson when we got the pick. <laughs> like no one really knew who he was, yeah, but now I mean, now it's kind of working out in the Suns favor a little. Yeah, Bridges is really great. I mean, I, I like Ubre a ton. Uh, I love Rubio, although I don't know how long he's actually going to be in Phoenix. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of players who I really like on the team right now, uh, but I don't it's just a shame that they had to like go through so much nonsense to get to the team that they have right now, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. whereas like you would think that a team that's been bad for such a long time would like have like a nice asset pool to work with. And that just doesn't really seem to be the case with the Suns. Correct. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good, you know, win every time you go down to Arizona, I guess. Actually, no, the Suns did beat the Clippers first. Uh, yeah, I was there. Yeah, that yeah was we great. were at the, We had yeah, no Rubio uh, at that game, too. That was great. That, that was, was like, very surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we were shocked. We were I was uh, a great actually time. at a birthday party that night, and I just kept checking the score. I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> it wasn't really a full effort on the Clippers side, I don't think. So. Yeah. And Kawhi was there. Should have been good enough. Yeah, yeah no, I know. No Paul George. Early in the season, so. Yeah. So our, here's another question. Do you like the, how the Clippers rebranded recently and their new jersey selection? You said you're kind of leaning on jerseys. Do you like the whole new rebrand with the LAC and kind of like the uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas Los Angeles alternate jerseys? Or I really like the San Andreas jerseys. I think they're pretty cool, okay. um, which kind of goes against yeah. my whole, like, you know, I, I prefer some color on the jerseys. I, just, I like the font a lot, and there wasn't anything – super interesting about the Clippers branding like that distinguish them you know from the Lakers because it just it all sort of sounds the same you know like yeah Clippers are like this water thing because like they're Clipper ships right and their mm-hmm. original oh. branding was literally just like the Lakers script but like Clippers yes. written out you know so it's it's taken some time for them to like have like a meaningful identity separate in the city so it's kind of cool I like the San Andreas stuff I think it works um I was really mad when they rebranded and they like stopped wearing red jerseys because the Clippers red was my favorite color in the NBA, like yes. far, by far. I think about the the first Lob City playoff series all the time, like when they played Memphis and they had this like huge comeback uh, in game one against Memphis. And I watched that game over and over again just because I love those red jerseys. They're legitimately like my <laughs> favorite, favorite jersey. And I'm so mad that the rebrand, for, there's a lot of issues with the rebrand because like the whole Microsoft Excel, I mean, Microsoft Word, like LAC thing just doesn't look right. But that they don't wear red jerseys anymore. And I love red. And it's just a real bummer. Yeah, they kind of abandoned that color. I didn't even think about that. See, this is the yeah. inside stuff you <laughs> yeah. get when you talk to Sabrina, okay? She reminds you that the Clippers haven't worn red in like three years. It's, it's the stuff that matters. It, <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's, it's a visual medium. It right? is. This is it an aesthetic yeah. product that they're serving us. It should look good. And it yeah. doesn't look as good when they're wearing those like weird-ass black jerseys. I don't, I don't like them. Oh, you're totally right. I, I agree. Should we even ask, like, the last question, you, though? You can go for it, Matthew. <sighs> All right. Your prediction on the game. <laughs> how, do you, how do you think the game's going to turn out? Especially after <laughs> while I watched the Clippers. Suns versus the Clippers. <laughs> I know, after the last game. prediction, you know? <laughs> yeah, we'll do, we'll do both. We'll do both. What is your prediction for the game okay. against the Suns? And then uh, what is your prediction for the Clippers in the, this bubble format? Gotcha. In the playoffs. Um, well, so the Clippers are, what, 2-1 and one against the Suns so far this season. Uh, we talked about that one at the beginning of the year. It's kind mm-hmm. of surprising. It was amazing. Uh, <laughs> took care of business both other times. <laughs> yes. I would imagine they do the same. Uh, yeah, I mean, do we need like a score? So we just give me uh, a point spread because I need to bet on this, and okay, you have the so inside just, scoop. We beat New Orleans by let's see, eighty-five was it? Carry, <laughs> carry the two. We by twenty-three. I believe we were up by forty-two at one point. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of you know margin thinned out by the end. Uh, I would say this is like in the eighteen-point range. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's respectable. 18.5. I'm putting my (laughs) money on it. (laughs) They better cover. And then what do you think the Clippers are going to do in the bubble? Are they winning the championship this year? Come on. Really good. But is is Milwaukee going to make it though? Like, so Matthew and I, we've talked about this all year, who we think, who we think is going to win the finals. And I said, it's going to be the Clippers and the Celtics and the Clippers are going to win it in six. And then Matthew went uh, to the purple and gold and said the Lakers over the Bucks. How hard is it, like, as a Suns fan to say those things? Well, I, yeah, it's, it's definitely very, very difficult. But I've always been a big LeBron fan. Okay. And honestly, I like um, what he brings to the game, everything about him. I, I really love it. So I want to see him succeed. 
either one of the Clippers or the Lakers I would choose. But I just think the Lakers, when you have the two of the top three players in the NBA that I think, I I feel like you should win the championship. But it might not happen. Um, If the Clippers win, I wouldn't be surprised. It's funny. I think about that potential Western Conference Finals all the time because (laughs) it's literally all we're working towards, right? Like, with all due respect to the rest of the Western Conference, Mm -hmm. like, I think it's a very – interesting race for the eight seed you know yeah, like it's where cute, isn't it <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's fun um you know unless you're a king's fan which yeah. God. um but i mean it feels like we've just sort of been on this like you know collision course right for yes. both la teams and it would have been really LA. cool if it happened in staples center it's not going to unfortunately but i really cannot make up my mind about what's going to happen in that series like i you know, you watch that game on Thursday and the Clippers like barely lose, even though they don't have three of the best players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they've kind of taken LeBron out of what he wants to do offensively for most of the season because you have legitimately, I think, the two best players to defend him in the league. Mm-hmm. And that's just an advantage that nobody else has. But can uh, you stop AD? Exactly. And then Anthony Davis has proven to be a little more challenging because, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't very good in the first game of the season. Um but then I think the Lakers have sort of figured out how they want to use him against the Clippers and they've gotten better and better as the year's gone on. Uh, I literally was on a podcast like two days ago and I said I was 50-50 on this and I have come no closer to making it. <laughs> well, we'll stick with um, my, my prediction that the Clippers are going to win the finals. So it's you know, thing, we can like, do that. If, if anybody outside of Milwaukee comes out of the East, the Clippers will be I'm Agreed. positive. They've only played Milwaukee really once this season because the first time they played them, there was no Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. So I mm-hmm. don't attach any importance to that game. But the one time they did play them, route. Like, just no chance whatsoever against the Bucks. And I, I I mean, I hesitate to give too much weight to a December game because, you know, yeah. Paul George had just come back and it was very early on in this, like, partnership. But Does Toronto kind of scare you more, though? No, not at all. Not at all. No? Okay. <laughs> no. Um, because uh, Toronto's defense is really good for teams that are, like, heliocentric, for lack of a better word, like that, you know, organized their offense through one person, which is why I think they were so successful against the Lakers the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Clippers just have much more democratic offense than, you know, other contenders. And I think that Toronto just, it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors there. Like it works when you're trying to stop one guy, but I, okay, the yeah. Clippers are just too deep for it to work. Mm-hmm. Right. The Bucks would give me a little pause in the finals, but no other team from the East. Yeah, I think the issue with the Bucks though, is they have Giannis and Middleton, and that's pretty much it. And the depth, I mean, yeah. you talk about depth, and that's the Clippers' flagship. I mean, one, you have two mm-hmm. of the best defenders in the league, long defenders. Mm-hmm. And then you have unbelievable shooting and depth around that. And the, I just don't feel like and – and perhaps this is the scorned Suns fan in me, but they have, they have Eric Bledsoe. Like, come on. Like, that guy's going <laughs> to he'll, – he'll fuck, he'll fuck something up with, like, five minutes left to go. And he throw was up. great with the Clippers in the playoffs. Like, it boggles my mind that he's got this, like, mind fuck going on where he can't do it anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> It yeah, really we, we were really excited when we got him. And then it just, you know, as most mm-hmm. relationships do in Phoenix, it went sour. So, I mean, the past 10 years has been a nightmare. Be there. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know just why. like a lot of other people. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, again, thank you ever so much, Sabrina, for hanging out with the Suns Jam Session podcast. Uh, if you'd like to let everybody know where they can read you and follow you, please do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, most of my work is on SB Nation, but it comes through a variety of team sites. So the easiest way to find me is just on Twitter at Sabrina JM. That's Sabrina with two E's. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate it. Good luck uh, on your march to the NBA finals. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is so great. Good luck with the eight seed, guys. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. You were invited thank to you. the bubble. It's cool. I know. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. We earned it. All right. <laughs>
Once again, thank you to Sabrina Merchant for joining us from Clips Nation. It was a pleasure speaking with you about your team. We'll see how it goes on Tuesday. Uh, we have a couple mailbag questions that we're going to get to before we get out of here. So if you're interested in reaching out to the Suns Jam Session podcast, you can always do so in a couple different ways. You can go to sunsjamsession.com or you can email us sunsjamsession at gmail.com. So, Matthew, you ready for the first mailbag question coming from our son's Jamster listeners? Yes. All right. So, the first one is one of those dumb trade of the week. And this is from The Vengeance. And he says, here's a Ben Simmons trade scenario that I found on Suns Reddit. Suns trade Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome, 2021st, which is like the 10th pick, 2022 first, and a 2023 second round pick. Okay, so we give up our entire fucking organization, minus Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden, and the Sixers trade Ben Simmons and Mike Scott. What do you think of this trade idea, Matthew? That's actually tough. Um, I'm a big Ben Simmons fan. I've always wanted to see him on the Suns. I think you're giving up a little bit too much just because we've seen a lot from Cam Johnson lately. So that's kind of tough. As long as you're not throwing Mikel Bridges in there, Aiden and Booker, I'm kind of okay with it. And I... I like Ben Simmons too much to say no about this one. So I'm all in for that. Wow. So I'm actually, I'm all in if you take away a couple more assets coming off the Suns books. I, I'm okay getting rid of Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, and Ty Jerome, our 2020 first round pick, and maybe that 2023 second round pick. But Cam Johnson and another first round pick to get Ben Simmons and Mike Scott, I just, I don't know how feasible that is. I don't know if yeah. it's something that's really appealing to me because I'm, I'm just like you. I'm a big Ben Simmons fan. I think he's somebody who could come in here. Uh, he's a great defensive guard slash forward, um, but he's also somebody who can distribute the ball. He needs a little bit of work on his three-point shot, but hey, we got Papa Ricky right now, so it's not like it's uh, something that, you know, is, you know it, there's a good trade-off there is essentially what mm -hmm. I'm saying. And the issue I think you kind of run into is you look at his contract. You know, it's, it's a big one. I mean, obviously, you're deleting Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio's contract in order to do it, but you're paying this guy – you know, by the end of his contract, which is 24, 25, $38 million a year. I mean, who he better be performing. He'll be at 28 then. So, I mean, he'll be kind of hitting his prime right along the same time as Booker. So it's definitely something that I think is appealing, but I feel like we'd be giving up just a little too much. A little bit too much, but I like the guy much. a lot. So I think yeah. eventually you're going to have to pay someone big money. And I think really Ben Simmons is worth the money. Uh, so that's why we throw that much at him. So maybe we shouldn't dumb trade of the week this one. Uh, we could do it because we're kind of half and half, you know? Yeah. If it happened now, we'd be kind of ugh, annoyed. But I think in the offseason, it might be something we'd be happy about. I feel you. I feel you. All right. One more question. This comes from Vladimir Babin. And he says, is Cliff Robinson the most forgotten <laughs> about Suns player in the past 25 years? I don't know. What do you think about that one? I'm going to have to go with yes, because I like the way that yeah. Vladimir Babin put it. He's like, most forgotten. So you go 25 years, that takes you all the way, the way, all the way back to pretty much like the 1996 season. Yeah. And you, you go through there and you go, okay, yeah, Rodney Rogers and Tony Delk and you know, Steve Nash era. Is there anybody who's really forgotten on those teams? You know, the Jason Kidd, Penny Hardaway era, is anyone forgotten on those teams? You know, the Nash era. There's a lot of forgotten sons if you go <laughs> start from about 2012 on. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if you're talking guys who actually contributed and were good players, like, yeah, Cliff Robinson, you always kind of forget that he was a Phoenix Sun. You do. And if you were to ask me, like, how many years did he play with the Suns? I mean, maybe a half a year? I don't I, I don't honestly remember. couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> four I've seasons. Like, four seasons? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There you go. That just makes the point. Like, I thought maybe two. 
exactly wow. which is crazy and uh he was pretty uh efficient i mean it's a, it was a weird uh couple of years though or four years with the suns you know it was kind of in between um winning for the suns <laughs> when he was on there so yeah he was in kind of that lull in between yeah. the the Barkley era and the Nash era, but that's why mm-hmm. he might be forgotten because those are some of exactly. the the teams where it's like Ugh, okay, yeah. Well, again, great questions from the Suns Jamsters listeners. We really appreciate that. Um, Matthew, is there anything new that you're watching before we get out of here besides basketball? Because I've been watching so much fucking basketball. Have you fit anything else new in there? No, just sports. But actually, right after this podcast, I'll be watching uh, some UFO conspiracy theories Ooh. on Netflix with my niece Ashley because that's what we do. We watch conspiracy theory stuff. All right. And I love it. Yeah. So it's on Netflix. I forget what it's called. I think it's Hangar One or something. And I'm excited to watch that. The only thing that I've watched in the past like five days that isn't basketball or baseball. Or golf. I mean, I'm even watching golf. I was watching the end of the, <laughs> yeah. the tournament yesterday when Kepka hits his 40-foot putt to get one under going into the 18th hole. And it's like, if he birdies the hole, it's going to force a playoff. He comes out and just puts it in the water. I was like, damn, dude, that sucks. I know that <laughs> feeling all too well. Uh, but I watched something on Hulu called Palm Springs with Andy Samberg. Oh, it's, do you like that? It's I heard really, it's good. It's really good. So I listened. Obviously, Andy Samberg was on the Bill Simmons podcast and yeah. he talked about it. And it kind of has a Groundhog Day feel to it. It's one of those days that keeps going over and over again. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really original the way that it did it. And it was, you know, kind of dark funny. Uh, so if you're looking for something to watch other than sports, you can either watch <laughs> UFO conspiracies with Matthew or kind of funny things that are like Groundhog Day with John. And that's Palm yeah. Springs on Hulu. Conspiracy theories and stuff that makes you cry. If you want to come <laughs> hang out. I, oh, thing. yeah. Are you watching Afterlife for like the seventh time? Oh, no. Now? It's going to come back around soon, though. Yeah. God, please, God, no. All right, well, that's it. That's it for the Sun's Jam <laughs> Session podcast. We truly appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. Remember to rate, review, subscribe via the Bright Side of the Sun podcast. We have plenty of content coming out during the bubble. I know that Fanny and the Flames is putting out stuff too. So if you're a Suns fan, this has got to be gold for you because you get to hear all these different things that are going on and the different perspectives yeah. that assist you in forming your opinion of the <laughs> Suns. And uh, if you're smart, you take my predictions apparently and bet on them because I'm pretty on point. We'll see what actually happens in this, this next <laughs> game though. But that's it for the Suns Jam Session podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. You can follow Matthew on Twitter. Hi, Matthew. We'll see. And that's all I got. I'm going to go grab another beer. All right. I'm going to go home with my family. <laughs> <laughs>